This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter 12 and we're continuing on with the children of Israel leaving Egypt and uh, and escaping into the wilderness it is a it is a real life escape from a human perspective because they've been in slavery and sin from a practical perspective it's not an escape at all they're being invited to go and in every real way as far as the egyptians are concerned they want them out but as far as the is israelites are concerned they want out they want to get they want to get gone they want to get away they want to escape and who wouldn't want to escape? You've been in slavery in Egypt, and there is no doubt about it that this is a haste, hastily planned and executed escape. It is not orderly in the sense of they've got a plan and everybody's executing a plan. It in many ways is grab what you can, throw it on whatever you've got to carry it with, and head out. And that's exactly what happens here. They they throw everything they have after the angel of death has passed by and all the Egyptian firstborn are dead. They grab everything they can and they throw it on oxen. They throw it on donkeys. They throw it on carts if they have any of those. They take their elderly and place them on those carts and then they head out of Egypt and they're going as fast and as hard as they can and in many ways, we don't realize, uh, and you really can't even think about it. I guess the Ten Commandments does a pretty good rendition of it, just going and everybody getting together, but the just the pure humanity of it. And if you've ever been in the military or if you've ever dealt with large groups of people, maybe you've been a concert, dealt with concert logistics or large event logistics as far as fairs and things like that, there are some real issues that have to be resolved when you're dealing with moving a large group of people. There's food issues, there's water issues, there is just the practicality of how they move, there is figuring out choke points and places where the some issue might develop and it caused them not to be able to get out of there. There's also who's going and being able to figure out especially if there's tickets or things like that, or you have your unit in the military, making sure you have everybody and making sure you've not got anybody extra. And that's not any of that's going to go on as far as this exodus. It is just really a mass run and get away from the Egyptians. Take everything you can, carry as much as you can, and head out into the wilderness. And they don't even know where they're going. They have no idea where they're going. And by the way, they is a very good question also. Who are they? And we do know that they're the children of Israel. And how do we define that? They're the 
They're the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are Jacob's descendants. They're Jacob's children, the 12 tribes of Israel that went into Egypt during the famine, and Joseph provided them protection and provided them, along with Pharaoh at that time, a place to live, and that is in the land of Goshen. Now, in the land of Goshen, over the next four centuries, there were going to be a lot more slaves in that land, a lot more that came and dwelt among the Israelites. They were the predominant group, but they were by no means the only group that lived there. And it is important to get that when they left with a lot of everybody, it was a great opportunity to escape if you wanted to escape the yoke of the Egyptians. You got to remember, these people were not off. They were not doing great as slaves of the Egyptians. Most people have a, a hunger and a yearning to be free. And we know that from our own history, the nat natural part of man, because we're endowed with our creator with certain unalienable rights. And one of those rights that is unalienable from ourselves is the right to freedom, to liberty, and to be set free. And so obviously, if you were a person in slavery in Egypt, you would yearn to be free as any slave anywhere would likely yearn to be free. And we're not talking about indentured servitude, which in many places in the Bible is what is described as slavery. We're talking about actual servitude that has no end and is generation to generation, much what we would call the African slave trade of the 14th, 15th, 16th century. And so when you're dealing with that kind of slave trade, you're understanding that's a generational slavery. It's a slavery that brings about no hope, no wealth, no upward mobility in society. The slaves of Egypt were never, ever going to become equal with the Egyptians. Now, indentured servitude, which would be where you sell yourself into slavery for a period of time in order to get a benefit, maybe a benefit of coming to the United States, maybe a benefit of wealth, maybe a benefit of having some of your land or some of your possessions, the, the uh, debt that you have on them paid off. That kind of slavery is really the kind of slavery we have in the United States today in the sense of if you have a mortgage on your house, what you've done is you've bought a house, you owe on the house, and then you've asked the bank to pay what you owe for that house, and then you'll pay them back and you'll give them part of your wages to pay them back. It's not indentured servitude in its purity, but it's it's very similar to the indentured servitude that is mentioned, especially in New Testament Christianity and New Testament uh, writings. But it's nothing like the slavery that is is going on in Egypt or would have been a part of what we call the African slave trade. It's nothing like that. They're not similar at all. And when you're looking at this and you're dealing with it and you're looking at and what happened, there were a lot of slaves in Goshen that were not Jewish. And that's what verse 38 says. A mixed multitude went up with them also. Notice verse 37 said about 600,000 men on foot besides the children or, or besides the, the little ones or the weaker ones. It says a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. So now you've not only got a large group of people, not only do you have a large group of people that are not necessarily Jewish going up with them, but you have a large group of people who, who are bringing everything they have. And one of the primary sources of food would have been their animals that they brought with them. And they're taking that with them too. So you have a just a huge 
mass of people and animals going out. There, there is no way to order that in any possible way that would be effective. They're just following like sheep, Moses, into the wilderness. And it says, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt. It was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. They're, they really are a lot like livestock just being pushed out into the wilderness because, and they're pushing themselves. They want to go and they're going to take with them. They're going to take with them everything they have, and they're going to take with them people from other races. Now, you're going to see some positive aspects of that and some negative aspects of that because Moses is going to take a Cushite wife, which means he's going to take someone that's not from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to marry a Cushite woman, which which God does not say anything negative about. Why? Because she was a person who believed in Yahweh. She was a person of faith. And a lot of these people that are not genetically Jewish are going to leave Egypt with them, but they are spiritually Jewish, meaning that they believe in Yahweh. Now, there are also some who are going to go with them who are not that, and you're going to see see the problems that they create at the mountain when, when they force some of the Israelites and when they cajole some of the Israelites into, into worshiping other gods. That's the problem. And you got to understand the difference between the two issues because oftentimes we do not want to marry somebody that's not of our, of our whatever that happens, race. It might be of our background, of our station in life. Of We come up with all these rules and reasons why we do not want to commingle with other people. And, and that would have been something that God told the Israelites to do. It's an important understanding. But remember, he's not dealing with race. What he is dealing with is he's dealing with a spiritual issue. And we see that, and we're gonna we'll deal with that later on. We see that with Moses marrying the Cushite wife. It's not God told him specifically, don't intermarry with the peoples that are around you. But obviously we have in scripture intermarrying with the peoples around them and God not having a, a, an issue with it. We see it in Moses. A whole book of the Old Testament deals with it. We see it with Ruth. Ruth was married and her husband died and she comes back to Israel with her mother-in-law who was a Jewish woman, but Ruth was not a Jewish woman. She was a Gentile woman. And Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, redeems her. Well, uh, that is marrying outside of their racial structure. The issue is not whether you marry somebody outside of that. The issue is whether or not you're yoked with someone who has the same faith as you. The issue is whether the issue is a spiritual issue and much less than a physical issue. And oftentimes we get out of we get out of line because we don't realize that the spiritual is what matters. I I understand that that people have their own biases and have their own issues with those things. Those are not the issue. The issue is whether or not the people that you are with, the people that you are being yoked to in maybe your business dealings, maybe your family dealings, maybe your church dealings, it has nothing to do with what they look like or the families they come from. It has to do with who is Lord of their heart. 
And if God is Lord of their heart, those are the people that we yoke with, meaning we're tied to when we're doing the work of life. And the picture is a yoke that ties two oxen together to pull the cart. And if you're going to be tied with someone, you want to be tied with someone who's heading in your direction. And you can't identify that by how they look. And you can't identify that by how they speak. If they don't speak, if they don't speak English, then you can't be tied to them. That's not true. There's many Christians that speak all kinds of languages. And uh, that's not the issue. The issue is what do they believe? Who are they in their heart? Do they trust Jesus or do they not trust Jesus? And you may you may find someone who totally does not look like you, has no background that is similar to your background, that is perfect for you in your business dealings, perfect for you in church, because they have the same heart for Jesus that you do. And those people are the ones that, that we're to be tied to, that we're to do life with. Now, you say, you don't love people in the world? Sure we do. We do love the people of the world. And we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And we're to care about those those people. But we can't tie ourselves to those who don't trust in Jesus. Uh, we can't tie important things to them, which would be our family, our church, and our jobs and our business practices. We can't, uh, our business associations, we can't tie those to people who don't believe in Jesus. That's just not going to... It's not going to work because they're going to have different value system. They're going to have a different Lord, and they're going to head in a different direction than we are. And when we take this mixed multitude that they took with them out of Egypt, it was important to get that some of them were not going to be worshipers of Yahweh. They're not going to be worshipers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to have their own gods, and they're going to bring those gods with them, and they're going to want to want to worship those gods. And if that's the case, then that's going to be a problem. And that's always a problem if that's the case and you're in business with them. That's always a problem if that's the case and you're in, in a marriage relationship with them. They're part of the family. They've been married into the family. That's a problem. And that's always a problem. If the church says, we don't care what you believe, there's no standard of belief. We just love everybody and we want everybody to be a part. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died for our sin and that we are to turn and follow him and he is Lord and we are to worship him and to chase after his goodness and his grace, which means that's going to fundamentally change the way we see the world and it is going to cause us to be different. Some of these people that came out of Egypt that were not genetically Jewish were absolutely 100% spiritually Jewish. They believed in Yahweh. They worshiped Yahweh and they were pilled people who were engrafted in to be a part of the the worship of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're going to see them engrafted in. You have multiple pictures in the Old Testament, especially of women who were not Jewish being engrafted in, being married in, and God not saying anything negative about it. Then you also have God clearly saying, don't marry people who are not from your line, that are not Jewish. The issue is, are they, or is he talking about, is he talking about physically Jewish or is he talking about spiritually Jewish? And quite clearly, once you go through scripture and try to figure that out, you're quite clearly, he's talking about those who are spiritually Jewish. He's talking about those, don't marry those who are not worshipers of me. Don't marry those who, who don't chase after me. 
don't take them on the journey of life with you. And you say, what is that? I've given you the three categories that I think are the main journeys of life. People we do business that we live life with in the world, people that we marry and make a part of our family, and people that we worship with. And we want to worship with those who worship in spirit and truth. We want to do business. We want our businesses that we own with them to be owned with people who have Jesus as the Lord. And obviously, we want to be married to people who have a deep abiding faith. Because when times get tough, y'all are both turned to the same to the same anchor that holds things together, and that's Jesus himself. And uh, understanding this principle, when they took this mixed multitude out, they took some really good ones that would help them in all kinds of ways in the future. And then you're going to see them taking some really bad ones, and they're going to cause problems. And so you've got to make that determination. you got to look and see, are these the good ones? Is this, uh, is, are these people who may not be Jewish in uh, body, but they're Jewish in mind? Are they Christian? Are they Christians? Or do they actually believe that Jesus is Lord, and do they live it out? And if they do, they're the ones we do life with. We give them an opportunity, an open door, to have a close personal walk with us in the intimate ways that we do life, which is in our endeavors in the world to take care of our family, in our in our families themselves, and then obviously in our church. And we're out there preaching the good news to those who want to receive it and to those who don't. We're not going to make church comfortable for those who do not want to worship our God. We're not, church is not for everyone. Church is for believers. And the believers that are in the church are for the world. And th that is a principle and understand that I believe in many ways we've muddied as a Christian people in the United States. The church and worship is for believers. The believers in worship are for the world. We are the light to the world. We're the hope in darkness. We're the salt that uh, that makes a difference in in the communities and world that we live in. And so we're to go out and be that. But uh, when we come together and worship, we come together to worship one God and one Lord and one King and one faith. And uh, that's the way it is. And when we do that well, we do life well, we do church well, and we also do the world a favor. We do, we're a great benefit to the world because those out there that are lost in the world begin to be able to find, find Jesus themselves. They begin to find a abiding faith in him themselves. When we don't do it well, we, we're like that salt that has no value and it's just cast out on the manure pile or the, or the road and we're neither fit for the field or the table, but we're just cast out and worthless. And we don't need to be worthless. The world needs us. And uh, they need us to, to shine, shine to them an authentic faith in a risen king. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.